0: Pastor Dave said, my name is Joanna, I'm on the staff team here, it is so good to be with you this morning, I, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to be uh, with you in the morning community in a while, so uh, I, hope, uh, I hope we can do this together, and uh, as I warm up, that you will warm up to me. Uh, We are in the middle of a series called We the People, and um, for those of you who would be less familiar with the community, all the faces in that little video trailer that we just saw, that is uh, people of our church. Uh, We are talking this summer about our identity in Christ, we are talking this summer about who we are as Christians. When we accept Christ as the leader and the savior of our life, uh, some things about us are changed, and some things about us become true, even if we don't feel them. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the, next, uh, the next on this list of character traits that we are going through, and the, this, sum, uh, this Sunday, we are talking about uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I was saying uh, in our pre-service prayer this morning, I, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't feel very temple-y today, (laughs) I feel pretty much like Joanna. So I hope that we together, uh, this is a journey for you and a journey for me as we explore what it does mean to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. I recently, as I shared in the evening community, I recently got a new car. Well, new car to me, I should say. I, I've never actually had a new car. But it was a new car to me. And, um, and I'm still getting over the excitement of it. Perhaps you've seen me on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter. Uh, if you aren't my friend, I would love if you uh, added me as your friend on one of those uh, social media websites. I'd love to get to know you that way. Uh, but if you've, if you've been uh, seeing anything, you've noticed that I'm excited about a new car. And, and it's the little things in a new car. You know, the car, uh, when I go to the drive through I don't have to do this anymore. I push a button, and the windows go down. I have this keychain now, and when I push a button, uh, the doors unlock, or they lock. Or I push another button, and the trunk pops open. Now, maybe for some of you, this is old news. But for the person who drove the 1989 Honda Civic, La Fonda the Honda, and then um, I had a, a Toyota Echo. They don't even make those anymore, a 2003 Echo. This new car is very exciting to me. And so one of the things that came with this car, uh, until very recently, I was quite afraid to use it. I knew it was there but I was afraid of it. This thing is called cruise control. <laughs> See, I drive a, I drive manual, so it, it feels even more tricky to, to let your feet off of the pedals and allow the car to drive you. Now, I've never had this before. I've never had the opportunity to try it until this car, and so it was fairly terrifying to me, but let me tell you, I have tasted and seen that cruise control is good i I went on a, a little road trip recently, and so I decided i should I should be honest, the person in the passenger seat convinced me that I should just push the buttons and do it until it it locked into a speed so so we're driving along on the highway one fifteen up. Uh, towards Peterborough, and we pushing these buttons, and suddenly, when I took my foot off the pedal, the car kept going, and I didn't have to watch my speed. I wasn't checking for all those cops that are always on the 115, getting me in, on the way to my family's cottage. A new day has dawned for me. You see, I have had this car for a number of months now, but it wasn't until recently that I have accessed the power of the cruise control. It has been there since I got the car, but I was afraid to use it. I'm sure you see where I'm going with this. Maybe, maybe you have things like that in your life. I, I know people who have really fancy cameras, and they might have spent a few thousand dollars on this camera, and they use it in point-and-shoot mode. You know, they have no idea how any of the lenses work, any of the extra buttons, but they have it, but they have no idea really what to do with it. Or maybe, maybe you're like Pastor Dave and he has a motorcycle and, and he knows that this motorcycle can go real fast, but he also has a wife. (laughs) And so I'd like to think he stays at least a hundred, under 150 kilometers an hour, Maybe? Oh, maybe. It depends. It depends if his wife is uh, also on the motorcycle. You know, I think that often we are like this with the Holy Spirit. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine. I'm an extrovert and therefore a verbal processor, and therefore when I prepare to preach, I gather a community of people to talk about it. And that's how I uh, prepare and think about what, what I'm going to share. So I, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone um, a few days ago, and, and she commented that, she th- and I agreed with her, that there's this idea that a lot of us live with this two-thirds spirituality. We're down with the Father. We're cool with the Son. But this Holy Spirit, this third of the Trinity, we start to get really uncomfortable. Or more so, we just completely, we don't. not that we're even uncomfortable, it's that we have disregarded the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to the point where often we might even refer to the Holy Spirit as it instead of he. And there is certainly a great disti- distinction between it and he, the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, the living and breathing presence of God. There's this book, in fact, um, I recommend to you, I read it, um, I'm not a fast reader, and I read this in about a day, so you can do it too. Um, it's called The Forgotten God, or Forgotten God, by Francis Chan, and um, it's talking about this third part of the Trinity uh, that often we in the the mainline church uh, often get wrong. So... We often live in this 66.6% vision or hope for our lives because we live without the entire uh, picture of who God is and what he is doing in the world and what he is doing in our lives. I think often it is true that the Holy Spirit, who is not an it but a he, is a forgotten God. And so I invite you to join with me today. We're going to be in two passages. We're going to be in Ephesians 2 and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6. I don't know if you use the uh, the electronic version or maybe you use the paper version. I have recently converted back to paper. I'm 27 years old and I'm regressing already. So uh, as a brief overview of, before we dive into the text in Ephesians 2, where we're going to start today uh, in the scriptures, I'd just like to give you a reminder, and we'll throw it up on the screen. Um, this is probably more helpful to those who have heard more of the story. If you're new to the Bible and you're new to scripture, this list of the temple of God and the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives will be um, a little bit more confusing to you. So I just want to highlight and say, in the beginning of time, before time began, the Holy Spirit was. And the Holy Spirit, it says in Genesis, hovered over the deep. And then creation happened. And in creation, we, um, in creation, we saw God dwelling with and walking in the garden with people with Adam and Eve we see in this early text and then of course as we see number two we have sin enters the world Adam and Eve disobey God and their relationship their perfect relationship with God is severed. And so as a result, God that this this God that once walked with them in the garden actually was unable to do so anymore because of their sin. But he did not leave them alone. He promised that he would have a solution and that in the future, in fact, they would be together again. And so through the Old Testament, if you were to follow it through Genesis and Exodus, and then all the way through, you see the story of God's people. We see a chosen people that God says, I will use you, Abraham, and your descendants to be my representatives of what God is like to the whole world. They didn't do the best job of it, but they they did okay. And then um, then we see that actually God was amongst the people in something that was called an ark. And it was so precious, and so holy that no one could even touch it. It was on these poles, and they carried it with them everywhere they went. And then, as they got a little bit more settled, and they became less nomadic, they built a tent. And then God... The presence of the Holy Spirit dwelt in a tent. And then after that, they got uh, really established, and they were able to build a temple. There were a few temples. There was one and two. There was some issues in the middle. You can read all about it if you want. And then after the temple, we get this New Testament experience. Jesus shows up. The physical presence of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can read all of it. Jesus, God in flesh, shows up on the earth. And Jesus shows us in physical human form what God was like. And Jesus, when he was here, he in fact died for the sins of all humanity that started back in the garden when Adam and Eve were no longer able to walk with God anymore. His presence was no longer able to be that close to them. And when he died, there was a curtain in the temple that separated the people from God's presence. And it says in Mark 15 that this that this curtain ripped in two from the top to the bottom. This was a miraculous experience, not done by human hands, but it was a symbol that things were different. With the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in our place, we could have access to the presence of God. And then Jesus raises from the dead, and he comes to his disciples, and he says to them, I have to go. But it is good that I am going. It's good that I'm going because I will send you the Holy Spirit. Wait and I will send you the Holy Spirit. So his disciples, they wait for this thing. They probably don't even know what it is that they're waiting for. But then it says in Acts chapter 2, like a rushing wind, a sound so loud. Can you imagine it? A rushing wind moves into the room where they are waiting and praying. And the Holy Spirit encounters them and enters them and they go into the streets with a power like no one had ever seen before they start preaching in languages that they did not know it's called speaking in tongues and then thousands of people were radically converted and changed from their old religions Ju- judaism or other uh, other religions that were in the city of jerusalem visiting at the time and they were converted to Christianity, And this Holy Spirit then, in fact, came with them. And we see all through the book of Acts the powerful things that happen when the Holy Spirit's presence was at work in people's lives. So we see all through the New Testament that, in fact, as the authors write, especially Paul, he says, We, the people, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I share all this with you only because it's important that we do not forget the significance of the story. The, as John Thompson would say, I'm not even sure if it's a real word, the profoundity of this statement. Let's enter into Ephesians chapter 2, shall we? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is not a temple of stone and brick and metal and gold. This is a temple of flesh and blood, organs, skin, hair, some less than others. We are the temple, it says. The people of God have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now it's important to make a note here because all human beings, it says in scripture, all human beings, every person you encounter every day of your life, look around, look around the room right now and look at everybody. We are all image bearers of God. Every human is an image bearer. But when we accept Christ into our life, we become a temple. Of the Holy Spirit. Not just image bearers, but Christians are a temple of the Holy Spirit. To put it another way, as a friend of mine put it this week, we become God's home address. You, as a Christian, are God's home address. It says that God is as close as He could possibly be to us. He is not just with us, beside us. In fact, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit is his people. We are not going any longer to a temple that is made of bricks and stones. But we are... In fact, the temple ourselves. And notice here in in this scripture that it says in uh, in verses 19 and then... uh And then again, later into that passage, I can't see it at the moment. It's this idea that that we are not foreigners and strangers. In fact, we have been adopted into God's household. It says Christians are adopted into God's own household. In Romans 8, 16, Mark, Mark, we don't have time to go there today, but Romans 8, if you want to read more about the Holy Spirit and what that means in your life, Romans 8, good one. Romans 8, 16 says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit spirit that we are God's children. All rights and privileges of children are ours. See, if God lives in us as believers, we can know he has our back because in fact he is as close as possible to us. We are not like neglected or abandoned or orphaned children any longer. When the Holy Spirit enters us, He secures and reminds God of who we are. We are His children, and nothing can change that. The Holy Spirit's presence in the temple, the the, the physical bodies that He dwells in, reminds God and reminds the person that He d- indwells that God is who He says He is, and that person is who God says He or she is. You know, an abandoned or a neglected child, maybe with bad parents or no parents at all, that, that person would typically um, seek love in all the wrong places. That person would probably, that person would probably uh, make their decisions in life without any sort of true guidance. That person would probably have small dreams and ambitions for their life, Because no one is cheering them on, encouraging them, empowering them, and there is no one on whose shoulders they can stand. It is not this way as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Believers are the children of God in the very household of God. He is building us together, as it says, building us into a holy temple in the Lord, as it says in Ephesians Voices contest the adoption papers and scripture rebuttals it. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you, as I started, you know, you don't feel very temple this morning. You don't feel maybe because of your experiences or because of your emotions or because you just don't understand You don't feel like you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit testifies to the Father that we are in fact God's children. You are not an abandoned child any longer. Scripture is clear about this. But maybe you were sitting here this morning and you would say that that's just not you. I mean, if you are visiting with us today or you were dragged to church this morning and you would not call yourself a Christian, you would not call yourself an actual follower of Jesus, then this isn't you. In fact, you aren't uh, you aren't adopted into God's family yet. And you are made in the image of God, but you don't know God. You do not have the Holy Spirit's presence in dwelling and empowering your life. So I'm going to stop right now in the middle, and we're going to, we're going to work on that one first. Before we move on, if you don't know Jesus, right now in the middle of the sermon, I invite you to meet him. We're going to keep talking about what this looks like, and I know that you know most people uh, are uh, probably not in a headspace uh, to make these types of decisions, but I hope you've had enough coffee this morning. Uh, I just want to pray right here in the middle of, of uh, this morning, if you've been uh, impacted and something is stirring in your heart from the music this morning, from the prayers this morning, from the scripture, and maybe this feeling of desiring to be part of God's family, desiring a power beyond your own to live this life? Let's pray right now. And if you, aren't a belie- if, sorry, if you are not a believer, pray too with me. Would you pray? Because there are people in this room who do not know Jesus. And we believe if you don't know Jesus, you do not have life. This life here on earth and life eternally. So pray with me. Uh, if this is you and you want life, if you want Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me it's in your own heart? Father, God, I've never called you maybe ever in my life before my father. But I'm here today, and I recognize that you love me, but I don't really know you. God, I I need you in my life. Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. Jesus, I believe that you did die in my place for my sin and that you did rise again and that I do believe that when you are in charge of my life, the Holy Spirit will indwell me and will guide me. So God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that Jesus, you would take my place. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and be with me because I don't want to be an abandoned child anymore. I want to be in God's family. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in Scripture, here in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are the home address of God. We, in fact, are sealed and secured as his children, as it says in Romans chapter 8. And we're going to move over into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a fairly familiar passage, um, especially for people who like um, to read scriptures that's sort of interesting and about, weird, unusual activities of other people throughout history. I mean, really nothing is new under the sun because chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, we're talking about sexual immorality, and it doesn't take looking around much. We don't really even need to go beyond our own homes to recognize that nothing has changed, that sexual issues are still there. So we're going to be entering into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to be in verses 19 and 20. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The presence of God is in us. So what we do with our bodies, Christians, what we do with our bodies matter. Our whole selves, it says here in 1 Corinthians 6, our whole selves is bought by God at the highest price. God himself died in our place. And as Pastor John teaches us over and over, therefore we are not our own, we are slaves to God. And so, as it says here in 1 Corinthians 6, and as it th- says through a number of Paul's uh, epistles and uh, his letters to people in the New Testament, what we do with our body matters. And there's a whole list of things. Here in chapter 6, he's particularly talking about sex, but we're going to mention sex, image, work, health, and worship. Sex. What you do with your body Matters to God if you are a Christian. There is a lot of opportunity, whether you are a married person or a single person. To be engaged with, whether physically or maybe even just online, with all kinds of inappropriate sexual things. The scriptures are so clear on this issue, it almost seems redundant to talk about it. But we will talk about it. Sex is reserved for the context of marriage between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Anything outside of that is adultery, premarital, extramarital, online, or whatever. What we do with our bodies matters to God. We are not our own. We were bought at a price. Image. I think we sway on a pendulum with this image issue about our bodies. And maybe depending on the day, we bounce between the two. On one, hand of, on one side of image, there is this degrading, self-loathing thing that a lot of people do when they look at their bodies and they hate themselves. Maybe they even, maybe you even hurt yourself because you hate your body. On the other end, there are people who are so absorbed with their own physical body and appearance, they spend Hours at the gym or lots of money on surgeries or clothing or makeup. If you're, I was going to say if you're a woman, but some men, in fact, do wear makeup. Uh, If you you are on this side of the pendulum, you are so self-obsessed with your body that you can't see anything else that's important. And your own body becomes an idol. How we think about our bodies matters to God. We are made in God's image. And our bodies are amazing. Next we have work. I know this one can often get distorted into some sense of guilt. But how we do our work with our physical bodies matters to God. If you are lazy, God cares about that. How we do our work, whether it is for an employer or whether it is in our own home, whether it is cutting the grass or it is cutting budgets at work, what you do and how you work, how you use your body for labor, it matters to God. The people of God are a representation of God in the world. So what you do and how you work matters to God. I know in, in, um, in our culture, actually, the Christian work ethic has been to the advantage of North America. We have seen great industry and progress, unprecedented in human history, because the underlying value of the culture from hundreds of years ago was that Christians work hard. And in fact, if you um, do some exploration uh, economically, there's this amazing study that came out of China about why uh, the American economy is so successful. And it's basically because it's based on the Christian values of hard work and honesty. What we do with our bodies as we work matters to God. Health. What you eat matters as the Holy Spirit's temple. That convicts me. I really like McDonald's. But what I eat matters. And I will say, I'm working on it. (laughs) If you exercise or not, it matters. Our bodies are God's. Our bodies are the temple of God. And finally, worship. There's a reason why here at this church we use our physical bodies Some of us do in expression of worship. Our whole body, our whole life, and especially how we use our bodies, in all of the things listed above, they are acts of worship. Again, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor or worship God with how you use your body. Those who are Christians are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are God's home address. And so, if we are God's home address as believers, it means something. See, in the older days, as we talked about in the beginning, if people wanted to find God, they would go to his temple. They would go to his house. They would go to Jerusalem, to the physical building that he dwelled in, and they would learn about God. They would pray to God. They would study his word there in the place that he dwelled. But we see that everything changed with what Jesus did on the cross, and now we as Christians indwell the holy spirit there is no longer a need for a temple or a physical space we as we gather here this morning are the temple of god and not because we're in a church because we are breathing and living and worshiping god so if someone were to ring the doorbell of our houses of our lives, if we are the house of God, the home address of God, if someone were to ring the doorbell of your life, what would they see? Christians, what would they see? Is there anything different about the way you live than the way your neighbors live? If someone were ringing the doorbell and exploring your life, What would they learn about God? You see, like it or not, people go to the temple of God to learn about what God is like. And so what you are like, Christian, is what people will think God is like. It may not be fair, because we're a bunch of screw-ups half the time, but it's how it is. We have been designed this way with God's intent, purpose to use us, As the display of who God is in the world, people decide what God is like based on what they find in the temple that He lives in. So stop your sexual sin, stop lying. Stop cheating, laziness, and drunkenness, and unforgiveness. People are looking to your temple for hope. It says when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, it produces this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that more and more what your temple looks like, Christian? Or does your life, your body, your temple, actually look not too different than the moral and nice neighbors that you live beside. They are made in the image of God, as are we, but we have the very presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of God In fact, Jesus, remember, he said, it is better that I physically leave so that you get the Holy Spirit. We as Christians have the power of God in our lives. Has it transformed you yet? Is it continuing to transform how you live and use your body? People are looking to you for hope. Will they find hope when they look at your temple? Or will they find A temple full of garbage And rats The fruit Of the Spirit's work in our life Love, joy, peace Patience, kindness, goodness Faithfulness, gentleness and self-control That is the evidence Of the Holy Spirit in our life Or do you look Exactly like your neighborhood Maybe like You're a member of the YMCA or the Rotary Club or just a nice, decent citizen. It is not this way. We see in the New Testament so clearly the empowered work of his people. We sit here today 2,000 years later because the Holy Spirit indwelled a small group of people who went out in power from God himself and changed the face of the planet. There is scarcely a region of the world that is untouched by what God has done in these Holy Spirit temple people with flesh and blood and skin and bones. So are you using or are you squandering the spiritual gifts that you have been given? We have talked extensively about spiritual gifts here at the church and, uh, And there was a whole series on it that you can go to, Pastor John preached on, it would be two falls ago now. Um, It's all available online if you want to go back and you want to learn about spiritual gifts. When the Holy Spirit indwells our life, he empowers us with his gifts, with his spiritual gifts, to go out and be his church and change the world. Some thoughts. There is no such thing as too much of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? There is always more that you can receive. Have you become complacent in your level of experience of God's power in your life? Or maybe you're riding off of something that happened. One year, five years, ten years, twenty years ago where you experienced the power of God. And that's okay for you. My friends, there is more. There is more for you and there's more for me and there's more for this church and there's more for our city and there's more for our country and there's more for our world. The Holy Spirit has not done his work. And he has certainly not done his work in you. There is not... Such There's no such thing as too much of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish today that I could offer you a 12-step program to getting the Holy Spirit in your life. More of this. I want to feel more temple than I did yesterday. Unfortunately, when we're talking about the things of God, that doesn't really go. It doesn't really work. But I have two places to start and to go back to again and again and again as we seek to cultivate this Holy Spirit presence as the temples of God. Number one, as I just mentioned, spiritual gifts. Do you know your spiritual gifts as a believer? If you don't, you can go on our website, and you can do a little uh, sort of survey quiz thing. Again, it's no science, but it can help point you in the right direction to get a sense of how God has uniquely, by his spirit, gifted you in order to be empowered as a temple of God to change the world in his power. Do you know your spiritual gifts? And do you use them? So I have a two-step program, I guess. Step one, figure out what your spiritual gifts are and do something with them. Step two, spiritual disciplines. Or part two, the other side of the coin. No one really likes the word discipline. I know I don't. I'm very free-spirited by personality. So I I struggle with these sometimes. but, But the idea of spiritual disciplines... You know, I was reading in this Francis Chan book, and it says that, uh, you know, most people don't experience more of the Holy Spirit in their life because of two things. They're either too comfortable or their world is too noisy. And this is where spiritual disciplines come in. Do you practice quiet before God? Do you ever turn off your phone? And sit quietly. No matter what age or stage you're at, this is the best of ideas. Is your world too noisy to hear the Holy Spirit's promptings and work? The things he's trying to do in you and say to you and promise to you and sing over you. Do you even hear them? Get some discipline in your life. To be silent and to be still. To be in prayer and to be in scripture. And you will hear and see God's presence more and more in your life. This other thing that Francis Chan talks about in his book about the Holy Spirit is uh, we're too comfortable. And I thought that was interesting. You see, it, it says in scripture Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as our comforter. But if we are comfortable, what do we need comforting I think some of us haven't taken a risk for God in a long time, at least a week. When we get comfortable, we certainly don't experience the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit within us to comfort us in our times of stepping out to do things that only he can help us with. So I'm going to uh, invite uh, Pastor, Pastor Dave and the band to uh, to make their way up here. And and we're going to be moving into this time of communion, as, as Dave had said earlier. And, um, and, and And these are the two things that I want you to sit with. Do you want more of the Holy Spirit's power in your life? Even if you're a little bit unsure and afraid of it. Do you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life? Know and use your spiritual gifts. Practice spiritual disciplines, prayer, solitude, reading scripture, fasting, and gathering in groups, and worship, and communion, and all these types of things. Practice the things that cultivate God's presence in your life. we uh, are going to take communion and be reminded in communion that that this is a representation, just a, a token symbol that we are waiting for Jesus to return. That physically Jesus will return and make all things new. And in the meantime, we desperately cling to the holy spirit for power and godliness in this life. You, my friends, are the temple of God himself. You, my friends, we, the people, are God's home address. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your work, we thank you for your love, and we thank you that you have given us your spirit and have not left us abandoned and alone. God, help us to grow and cultivate the Holy Spirit in our life. Holy Spirit, by your power, move amongst us in a way that we have never seen before in this place. Holy Spirit, we need more of you, not less. In Jesus' name, amen. (music) you <music>